0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Welcome. It is officially Monday. It is Monday, but I'm in officially October. Wow. Coffee has not kicked in. Um, Today's episode is actually an interview that Adam did before he left Overdrive and left the podcast. Um, An interview he did with Drew McGarry about his new book, The Night the Lights Went Out. Drew's been on the podcast before. Adam is a huge fan of his. So we are... We are happy to have him back on the podcast. And um, this is the last of the episodes or interviews Adam had that we've not posted. So um yeah. Um if you want to get a hold of us uh, you can go to our website professionalbooknerds.com. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. And you can always email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. um I think, uh, very short and sweet intro we got going on today. Um, happy October, happy, happy spooky season, um, and that's all I got for y'all. So, enjoy this episode. An interview with Drew McGarry on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. (laughs)
1: podcast by having the author themselves introduce their book and and yours especially being a memoir feels like something you should probably introduce so do you want to kind of give our listeners just an introduction to the night the lights went out
2: uh yeah sure i i'm drew McGarry, yeah uh correspondent for defector and for (laughs) sfgate.com and the author of the night the lights went out a memoir of life after brain damage uh which i wrote after dying uh and being in a coma for two weeks and uh waking severely disabled and uh coming back to life slowly after that and it's a story of that it sounds it's more entertaining than it sounds it sounds like a complete <laughs> fucking downer but i swear it's not
1: yeah no it's it's extremely entertaining it finds that somehow you find a way i mean anyone's anyway, familiar with the writing you find a way to be funny even with some of the morbid stuff but at the beginning of the book, there, there's something that you do where, I mean, it makes perfect sense when people understand you talk about the two weeks that, you know, you weren't with us. So you literally interview your family and friends and just, I'm curious what that experience was like, like asking all these people who you're so close to about what it was like
2: saving your life and, and then kind of waiting to see if you were going to come back. Well, so the first draft of the book, what I did was I tried to piece it together from my own memory because i had written about what had happened right after i got out of the hospital and then published yeah. to dead spin in may of 2020 or i'm sorry 2019 and um for the book i took that original piece and i blew it out uh mm-hmm. in, in much much more detail and then at the end of the book um i went back and i said you know what i you know I'm not a reliable narrator for what happened because I was, uh, I was comatose and then I was just totally whacked out of my fucking brains on drugs. Yeah, And I was, uh, you know, I was hallucinating at times. I was angry at times. And I was, uh, also interpreting things because of my brain damage. I was interpreting them in, you know, I was perceiving things in ways that, you know, uh, a healthier person would simply not perceive them. Mm -hmm. So I went and I said, well, I'm going to interview everybody who was there to get a really accurate depiction of this. And everyone was perfectly willing to do it. They were totally cool with it. And I said, I said, you know, only I would hear the recording. You've obviously, you know, I put your words in print, but only I would hear this recording that we did. And, uh, And then I rearranged, and I arranged everything into this, you know, sort of oral history. And my editor read the first draft, and he's like, well, why'd you put all the good shit at the end? <laughs> and so the, the, you know, the, the, my account, from my perspective, we basically got rid of that. And we put everyone else's perspective up front. And it made a lot more sense uh, ultimately in, in the end. But talking to everybody about it, everyone was very, very kind. Uh, and you know, to a point where like, like you know, I felt guilty. Asking people to relive this, particularly it was it was early in the pandemic when everyone was terrified and fucking couldn't go anywhere.
1: Yeah,
2: and so you know it's not nice to be like, well, by the way, would you like while you're here suffering through this trauma, would you like to relive a trauma from a year earlier? <laughs> and they all said okay, and um, and you know what happened was, um, like it was very useful for me to know how they felt and what they had gone through. And it gave me a much better perspective, you know, going forward about, you know, um, you know, not only how to take care of myself, but how to take care of them as well. And then when it came out in book form, my dad read it and was very overwhelmed and was very touched by the book. and thought it was good. And my mom could not finish it. And I said, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like I, I wasn't going to give anybody who had lived through that. I wasn't going to obligate them to read the book if they didn't want to. Was it, but, but while you were
1: asking them questions and stuff, you, was it, I mean, I am sure it was emotional, but I mean, was it hard to hear their answers? Like, especially from the night of when you had your accident, like what
2: was kind of going through your mind while they were telling you this stuff? It actually wasn't. Um, Cause the one thing that I did before I talked to my friends and my loved ones and my doctors was I said, when you're talking to me, pretend I'm not me. Um, pretend I'm a journalist asking you these questions and you're just talking to some random asshole about what had happened. Mm-hmm. And of course they knew I was me still. You, know, you can't put that out of your brain. Um, but I never, there was never a moment where I was uh, sort of traumatized mm-hmm. by what they had told me because frankly, I wasn't awake for yeah. the majority. I simply don't remember. So I remember being more curious. And you know, the parts where I, was surprised um we not all that surprising once you know you know you know four people were all saying the same thing you know yeah. and so there wasn't uh you know i'm being a bit slow and a bit choppy here but again. I, I just wasn't there was never that sense of devastation i was never o- awake to be scared yeah and so i had to essentially re-engineer my trauma through listening to them. They were the ones who really had to deal with a lot of bullshit. Mm-hmm. I was just some asshole strapped, you know, to, to a hospital bed, you know, trying to like rearrange cones on a shelf so that I could be like <laughs> a normal person again.
1: Hey, I can actually still remember, um, well, I like as a, just, like, <laughs> a fan of yours and a fan of, like I said, of, that's been a defector and all your books and everything. Like I remember, cause obviously, you know, like your co-hosts and your co-workers and everything no one's going to come out while you're in a coma and be like, so here's what's up with Drew. But like, I remember when you woke up, there's like one point I think you wrote about it in the piece you did for Desmond. Like you put like two or three tweets out there while you were absolutely like under the influence and like, yes. yes. <laughs> but like, and like the thing that like made me not laugh, Bob, like kind of made me smile. Is like, I am absolutely one of those people who like, I from afar feel so close to, your are like the group of you who were at Deadspin and who are now at Defector because of just the way that you all write and you interact with fans and everything like so to see just like those few tweets even though I'm sure your wife was just eternally pissed at you for doing it like seeing that you were writing something at all and like holy shit that's he might be okay like
2: <laughs> yeah until you saw like the second or third tweet then you're like oh he's probably not all right <laughs> at all I actually so there's a backstory to that where I woke up I thought in my mind, I was, I was like up and like, I was like, why am I still in this hospital? Get me out. Like totally irrational. Not really comprehending what had happened. To me. Mm-hmm. And I had my phone and I was like, Oh, my phone. I can tweet again. <laughs> and, uh, and my wife, I, I started, I issued, I fired off these tweets about what had happened to me. I was like, I got to tell you what happened. I just bled into my brain or like some or i choked on my own blood from my brain that was what yeah. i tweeted which was incorrect yeah and uh my wife was not in the hospital at the time and she started getting all these her phone blew up while she was on a crosstown bus where the friend's like uh your husband's tweeting and and she was like oh shit and she was she was uh she was across town and she was dropped something off from my folks and she was like she's, she's like i have to run back and get his phone because he's familiar fucking mm-hmm. idiot. So then she got on the bus back uh, across town and and ran up to the hospital and took my phone and would not give it back to me uh, unsupervised for the rest of my hospital stay. I had that part in the book, but then I I realized it was not like to a general audience was not all that terribly interesting. Like this has been a process of me discovering just how uninteresting parts of my uh, existence are when I used to think everything was worth (laughs) writing about and disclosing, Mm -hmm. which is not it's really not true at all, so. Yeah,
1: I, I mean, I agree, but I also think, like, and this is, this isn't even directly connected to the book, but, like, I love, and, like, the the thing that I always tell people about your writing is, like, you seem to give the same amount of passion to writing, like, a profile on Anthony Bourdain as you do, like, a fun bag question where someone's, like, what's the best kind of topping to put on a pizza, and is it good the day after, like, you do see you're right I understand what you mean by like not everything is worth writing with but you seem to have at least like a passion truly like a passion for writing that to write something is better than maybe to write nothing and and to ask a question of this to be a good podcaster and a good interviewer yeah I found myself being really interested when throughout the book when and people will learn about how all the different things you had to go through, basically like relearning how to taste, relearning how to smell, like getting cochlear implants and everything. But like throughout a lot of it, you kept talking about how, you know, you were basically asking your boss, like, let me write, I need to work. Let me start writing and like, kind of like bargaining with your wife, like an hour a day, just let me write. Right. Like, did you find yourself having to like relearn how to think about storytelling or just like anything like that? Or did that just come back kind of naturally?
2: No. That was all still there. Um, if I look back now at the things I wrote, particularly before I went into therapy, uh, like my mood, I give away my mood Mm. and it's not always rational. It's not always good, but my ability to write never wavered. Like I suffered brain damage in a lot of different ways. It affected my mood. Like I just talked about. And of course it affected my sensory organs. Um, but whatever cognition I had for writing did not dissipate. Um, you know, I was I had brain damage that manifested itself in much more vestibular uh, ways. But the writing thing, they, the thing about writing is that I don't like overly dramatic writers. Like there are writers who just never shut the fuck up about the process, <laughs> and they treat it like it's some sort of uh, Sisyphean torture that they've been assigned. Like oh, I. A guy had to write three pages and throw them out and was me. And I've never had that because it's always just been fun. Yeah. Of course, the kind of writing I'm doing is usually very fun because I get to interview celebrities or mm-hmm. you know, trash talk football teams and things like that. Uh, but it's always just, it's never been this, uh, I don't know, sort of religious calling. Mm-hmm. It's just what I like to do. Yeah. And of course, I'm good at it. And when I don't do it, I get ornery and I feel like I'm out of shape upstairs. If that mm-hmm. makes sense, like I feel flabby and annoying and useless, uh, and so that's why I had to get back running. And also because I was like, "Well, shit, I got a lot of good material now," because <laughs> I died and then lived.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty decent uh, to you know use some social media parlance it's
2: a pretty good flex to be able to be like
1: yeah i mean i came back from the dead it's not a big deal i guess i'll write about it if you guys yeah
2: it. yeah because i was not a terribly interesting person before that it's like yeah i grew up you know a well-to-do minnesota lab who gives a shit but now i'm the guy who died so that's way more interesting <laughs> that's, that's right yeah do you find yourself <laughs> approaching writing assignments
1: any differently now like even if it feels the same just like from a mindset standpoint because obviously like you said like you know we're Recording this in in July, so I assume coming up will be you wire know, team sucks and a various yeah. all the various stuff that you always work on, and then you know eventually there'll be the Williams and sonoma ship. But like everyone, will, everyone knows like those things. But you also you know you do your fun bags and all sorts of different stuff. Like it's similar assignments by and large from before you did this, but yes, do you find yourself approaching things differently.
2: No, I don't. It's not the approach. It's the after where. Um, so this is really egotistical, but who gives a shit? Like, I know if I wrote something good, because I will reread it after it's posted, like oh, four or yeah, five absolutely. times, I'll be like, oh, that's pretty good. Like, I'll, let me reread it again. I'm my favorite writer. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> um, And I don't do that uh, as often anymore because I've gotten better at being self-critical. Mm-hmm. Like, I was always self-aware, but I, was, I didn't do much about it. You know, like I was aware I drank too much, but I kept drinking too much, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but now, um, like the process of writing is, is all the same, but afterward, I'm, I'm a little bit more clinical in assessing what I've done. And sometimes I'm not as interested as what, as what just posted. I'm like, "Mm, that was, you know, okay. So there are times when I feel like, well, I'm just sort of, you know, it it really depends on the post. Like I wrote something this week that I really liked and I'm very, very happy with. A lot of times I'll write something that, you know, I feel like is filler Mm. and I'm not, it's not that I'm unhappy. It's that I'm just, okay, well, I need to be, be better about that. So it's really about judging my own work. And I'm a bit more discerning about that now than I was before. Well, and I mean, I
1: imagine one of my, Jobs here at overdrive is I, I write blogs for our you know our library part library and school partners and obviously a major part of your job is blogging and yeah I mean like I imagine not every single piece can be something where you're like let me put this on the wall like there is some I imagine there's some stuff you're like well you know and that whether it's you or someone else that's defectoring, it's like well Gianna scored 50. So I guess we got to, someone needs to write something good about this.
2: Yeah. 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 We, I mean, we do have, we do have that. And, you know, we do have the the right people for that. And I do, I, you know, I am sort of like, okay, do I really have anything to say that's going to be different from what other people have to say when it's something like, you know, yeah, Yana scored 50 to win the NBA finals. You know, you're not going to get a perspective from from me that's better than someone who really knows the game and has Mm -hmm. watched every single regular season game, you know, you know, closely and things like that yeah uh, i will say that the one the one the one thing that was different uh was that so before i suffered my accident i was two chapters away from finishing a novel called point b and when i woke mm-hmm. up i really wanted to finish the novel you know sort of like uh, as an existential like i'm back sort of feeling it, which i yeah. did and then um and then no publisher wanted to buy it which sucked. But then I I self-published it anyway. And I was very, very maniacal about that book for a very long time. Like mm-hmm. I was very emotionally invested, not in its success, although I still have high hopes for its success. Um, but just in terms of the story itself, like I was living inside the story, like that's what you need to do when you write a novel or any book. Yeah. Like you just, you get over the fact that, oh, I have to write a book. you And you just sort of, you luxuriate in the fact that you're in this world, and it's in your head, and you can retreat to this world anytime you want. And I spent a lot of time in that world, almost mm-hmm. to a fault. Um, so there was that moment where I wasn't necessarily letting go of something that, you know, that clearly meant something more to me beyond just, well, I, you know, I wrote a book and I want to sell it. All that. Yeah. <laughs> so you said you were two, you were two chapters away. Like, do you think the
1: the two? the two chapters are like wildly differently written than the stuff before. Cause it sounds like, I guess like the thing that blows my mind the most about this is actually my, my father-in-law had a, a heart attack. Um, like he had an experience not dissimilar from yours in the sense that like he had cut complete blockage in whatever the artery is that they call the, um, the widow maker or whatever it is, like, like basically hundred percent blockage. And he had that happen. Um, at a like small comic con in Detroit, I think he was like. And if it oh, would have happened,
2: I've, I've been to a small comic con. It's really weird. Yeah,
1: and it was one of those things where like, if it had happened ten minutes earlier, he would have been in the car. If it had happened ten minutes later, he'd have been on the show floor. But where it happened to happen, there was a um paramedic right there. They got him to the hospital, and like even at the hospital, like my mother-in-law called us and was like, "You need to come say goodbye." And when we got there, he was like unconscious but they and they even said kind of like what i'm assuming the doctors probably told your family and friends where they're like if he wakes up he's not gonna be the same guy that you remember and he's fucking fine he's like he's great fine. it's amazing yeah sorry i should i buried the, i should have started with that yeah um
2: no i was fine. gonna make a i was gonna make a joke like with the was a doctor at Comic Con? Like, was he wearing a Darth Vader costume? Yeah, like, it was. Yeah, it
1: was Spider Man. That's actually. But if your father in
2: law had died, that would have been a bad joke. To it have been a bad joke if, had, had, yeah, no. But they did. They
1: used like the Spider Man sticky thing to close everything up. They were great. Um, but no, he, uh, he, same thing. Like his brain ended up being fine. Like he thinks the same. Like I'm fascinated by his concept that your brain, more or less, shut off for two weeks because it had to, and it's come back and like. Was writing the the end of of that book. Did it feel the same as like everything else? It seems like everything's
2: working like all systems go. It felt the same because nothing about the brain really makes sense. Yeah. Like, and I did a lot of research for like the lights went out about you know the physiology and, mm-hmm. and how it works and stuff like that. But there's just still so much that they don't know. Right. Like, you know that it's very very difficult because. You know, like you want to think that one part of your brain is in charge of X task or things like that. But that's not necessarily true. It can be distributed (laughs) amongst different parts of the brain. And how the brain does that handiwork is not always clear. Um, So why, you know, like I, you know, those were the things I wondered. I was like, I woke up, I was like, long after I woke up, because I didn't realize a lot, the extent of the damage. until after I got out of the hospital, I'm like, okay, well, why? Why am I half deaf and I can't smell and my taste is weird, but I can still walk just fine? Yeah. Well, although I had to, I had to go to rehab for walking. But why can I breathe? Mm-hmm. Uh, why is my digestion working? Like how the fuck? That doesn't know that makes any sense. Yeah. And it's because the the brain is, you know, this big wonderful mystery that you mm-hmm. know that never stop. They they never stop learning things about the brain, and they will never stop learning things about the brain. It's inexhaustible.
1: Yeah. Um, so I, I'm a little curious and, and you talk a lot about in the book, again, like like you said, kind of learning how to taste, you know, getting cochlear implants, like learning how to do all these different things. Like what did you find? Cause I'm, I mean, I'm sure all of it was challenging and frustrating as hell, but and you talk about it in the book, but what it, are there things like ongoing now that continue to frustrate you? Like, are you able to, have you gotten your taste back and things like that i mean it's been obviously like the book kind of ends in a certain place but it's been a long time since you've written the book and i imagine you're continuing to do stuff like
2: right so uh essentially i feel as good mentally and physically as i ever have and that's true that's not both that you know like that's the sort of shit you hear like right before an nfl training camp
1: Rathless Burger.
2: right yeah before you know before the quarterback tears his knee in eight different places uh but in my case i feel excellent is my taste all the way back no but, um, and this sounds very weird, but I have fully adjusted to that fact. Okay. So in spots where, you know, in the very beginning where I was always noticing what I couldn't taste, mm-hmm. that has, that has done a complete 180 where I notice what I taste and that's that and it's, and that's the way it tastes to me and it's fine. Mm-hmm. So even things that I really thought I had lost, Like ice cream, like ice cream does not taste the same as it did to me, which does not make any sense. Uh, And yet I can, I can eat it now on its own terms. I put a shitload of hot fudge sauce on it and that tends to work. But um, like I have rewired how I live and how I think about these things so that the processes are not debilitating. Mm
1: -hmm. Makes
2: sense. It's very yeah. hard for me to communicate if you haven't been through it. And I don't want anybody to go
1: through it. Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. But like one of the things that I, I really, was, was, I found really fascinating. It feels very weird to tell you that things in your book are really fascinating that you were struggling through. But no, no, I, I find it interesting. You know? So like uh, with the, is it cochlear? Am I saying that right? Uh, cochlear implant. That's correct. Yes. Yeah, so to help you facilitate with your hearing. And anyone who's familiar with your writing knows one of the things you're really passionate about is music. In fact, yeah. uh, you and I agree on something very, very strongly, uh, the Struts being the best
2: band in the world. Hey, I'm uh, seeing them. I will see them in September. So before this podcast has posted, I'm I will hoping. have gone to my first rock concert post-pandemic.
1: Yeah, um, that is fantastic. And But like one of the things that you talk about with the implants is the fact that like listening to music can completely change because you're kind of only hearing out of one ear and like, are those things with the implant? It's, it's just about back to, I don't want to say hundred, but as close as it can be. Right.
2: Yeah. I would say so. Like it's a miracle. It's just a fucking miracle. It's yeah. the coolest thing ever. And yeah, I got, I essentially got music back. There are certain things that are different now. So like, for example, like I'm wearing headphones talking to you. I if I wear headphones while listening to music, I'm not gonna have the cochlear implant on. I'm only gonna listen through one ear, but I'm so used to that. Yeah. That I have rewired so that it feels like it's in the center of my head. It doesn't feel like if you plug up your ear right now, if you mm-hmm. do that. Right, do and you listen to music, it'll be you'll notice it. Yeah. Like it won't feel it won't feel like it's inside your mind. Mm-hmm. It will feel as if it's, you know, essentially some sort of ambient noise coming through even though you'll be able to make out the melody and all that stuff. And that's how music was for me in the beginning. Um, and then when I got a cochlear implant, first of all, that, that more or less eliminated it. If I was listening to like, uh, music through like a, like a, like a wonder boom or like a wireless speaker, which is what I do the majority of the time now. I listen to music. Yeah. For. And it's just the same as it ever was. Um, But if I want to listen to music privately, like on headphones or something like that, I can do that too, because I have learned essentially how to be half deaf. So I am, I am comfortable with the levels of deafness that I have at any given moment. So, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: you know, if I have, like, I don't wear a cochlear implant to sleep and I don't wear my hearing aid to sleep, then that's good because I don't fucking hear anything. Uh, But then, uh, then I wake up and I go and I put all, all my shit in. (laughs) <laughs> and I hear everything, and it's just like, and I say it in the book, it's not unlike having glasses. You're wearing glasses right now. Mm-hmm. You have walked around without your glasses on, right? Where you're yeah. like, okay, well, I I know where my kid, I know where the toilet is. I can go to. Mm-hmm. And but it's the same thing with with hearing apparatus, where, uh, you know, you're like, oh, okay, well, my hearing's a little bit blurry right now, mm-hmm. and I'll put in my stuff, and then it'll be clear. But I know how to operate when it's blurry. That makes yeah, sense. makes sense.
1: Uh, one of the things that you talk about at the end of the book that I've heard people who have had sort of like similar experiences to yours have wildly different takes on this, but how you sort of have like a sense of peace about what comes after this, like or at least you. That's what you said. You sort of said in the book, or. You mean death, right? Yeah, about- exactly. Yeah, that was super vague. You're we literally just saying you're the guy who came back from death, and now I'm just like, you know, the great beyond, Drew. You know, the uh, the fairyland in the sky. Yeah. Like what? How do you feel like, knowing that? So my father-in-law basically said to me, like, he was almost, he clearly was. He's a very gruff, quiet human being, but he's even more gruff and quiet lately. A and dad, like, gruff, I'm uh, crazy, I right? I know it's insane. Um, but his his whole part was like there's no there was nothing there i don't remember anything but you seem to have the opposite take on it in the book where you're like you had a sense of peace about
2: it or am i completely misreading that no that's correct like there was nothing but i didn't mind yeah like i wasn't i wasn't in a coma like like you know i tend to think of death as like being stuck in solitary where you're like Mm -hmm. oh my god i'm dead you know everything's (laughs) black it's gonna stay this way forever that's not that's not how it works yeah like it's not there's nothing but you're nothing and you're not going to give a shit and it's mm. fine and it's funny because I had had a couple of other moments where it was like sort of near-death experience but on the very very basic level like oh that car almost hit me yeah it hit a telephone pole instead or I fell down when I was a kid in front of a speeding car and it but it, it but it stopped and I got up and you're sort mm-hmm. of like you sort of those things stick to you for a bit. Yeah. Where you're like, Oh, all right, all right. all right. And the irony is I had the real deal thing where I really was, you know, f- near just about as close to flatlining as anyone can get. Mm-hmm. And that essentially cured my trepidation about it. Yeah. I don't worry about it at all. I worry about it in terms of like, okay, if I dropped dead right now, my kids would be fucked. Like that would suck.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: but I, in terms of just me, Personally, I don't, I know that there's nothing past this that's going to frighten or, or hurt me. Yeah. So, and that's, I think that's true of everybody. I think that's true even of shitty people. Yeah. Um, I don't believe in heaven. I don't believe in hell. I just think there's this, there's a beyond. And I think that, you know, you're, you're going to be comfortable with it, whether you like it or not it's going to happen. It's happened to, it's going happen. to happened to everybody. I'm pretty sure It's for the best. I mean, yeah. it is, it, I mean, death exists for a reason, you know, there's, there's mm-hmm. a reason that we evolved to die and, yeah. and it needs to stay that way.
1: Yeah. Um, all right. This is, I'm, I'm going to grab the the cross section of our two podcasts, which has to be like 11 people. I have two things that we have to do. I have a guy for you to remember. And I have a debtor canceled. Like.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah. The tables have turned.
1: Literary edition, though. No. Okay. Jonathan Franzen, is he dead or canceled? Oh, well, I don't know. Has he even been canceled? Because I mean, so, he's written some bad sex scenes. I guess he's canceled. So he's been canceled for being a misogynist, but here's the thing that's irritating as hell about Jonathan Franzen is he's not a ta- he doesn't look at anything. He never looks at social media or anything, so he has no idea how much people hate him for being right. a misogynist asshole. That's,
2: that's the right move. Also, the other thing is that his new book comes out the same day, or came out the same day as the night the lights went out, and so I must destroy him. And I oh lose. yeah, yeah, no. I must sure send running. him into the black, and hell awaits for him, and him only. Um,
1: all right, I've got a uh, remember a guy for you. Okay. Do you remember Umberto
2: Eco? Yes, but I've never read any of his books, and in fact, this is extremely shameful. But I'm a bad reader, particularly of mm-hmm. fiction. Like I read a lot of nonfiction. Like a Hampton Sides and Douglas Preston and stuff like that. But when it comes to novels, I do, I'm very, very bad. And so that's not a good position to be in as a published author, because they'll be like, Well, have you read Umberto Echo? And I'll like, I'll be like, and like I'm lucky if I've heard of the writer. So or I'm like, okay, I've heard of Umberto Echo. What what did he write? Like I think he wrote something that I watched a movie adaptation. Yeah, I so
1: the the name of the rose Yes, that's it. it.
2: But here's the most important thing about him.
1: Have you ever looked up? There's a very famous video of him. Well, mildly famous about his personal library. No. Okay. You. I will. I'll put it in our Zoom link after we're done recording. He had. There's a video of him. He's like, they're in his personal library. and He's like, oh, I need to uh, grab this specific book, and the the camera follows him, and it's like the stacks of like if you're walking through New York Public Library. He, the man <laughs> had literally like a million books in his house, all and leather bound. And... Yeah, exactly. And like the thing is, everyone's like, wow, look at his collection. And I'm like, there's no way he read any of those. It couldn't have possibly
2: read over It's absolutely Yeah, I remember um, I had to watch but... Name of the Rose in school, mm-hmm. and we we pissed and moaned. We we're like, oh. And the movie was fucking great, and we were like, yeah. "Oh yeah, I'm glad I got a sign. That. Yeah. that was a good movie." Absolutely, yeah. Um,
1: all right. So we, towards the end of our episodes, we do what we call the Nerd Nine, just nine lighthearted questions. Um, okay. the la- the first one is, "What's the last book you finished reading, or something you're reading right now?"
2: That- okay, okay. So the last book I finished reading was Why Peacocks by my former GQ colleague Sean Flynn, mm-hmm. and I'm reading How Lucky, which is a novel by my former Deadspin colleague, Will Leach. So as you can see, I only read books written by people I know,
1: which is just <laughs> no, so obnoxious. No, you guys are doing the right thing. I, I also appreciate it. as a book nerd and fan of your podcast. Every time you bring on someone from the factor that's recently written a book, I'm like, oh, nice. I'm going to check out. Was, I think did Lauren just
2: have a book come out. Lauren Tyson. Somebody just had a book. You had a couple weeks uh, Kelsey ago. Kelsey McKinney had a book come Kelsey. out. But it's always good to talk to authors because, yeah, you know, they're going to plug a book. But that means that, because they wrote a book they're probably going to have some expertise in a certain field that you don't usually get into yourself so they're going to have interesting things to tell you and that's always good like I, i you know there was a reason the daily show used to always have authors on you know yeah absolutely yeah um do you have a favorite place to read bed i always read before bed because it gets me in the mood to sleep like i don't i don't bring my phone there's no phone in the bedroom for my wife and i like we turn the phones off we leave them downstairs and then we read and that sort of sets the tone for being asleep. Now, sometimes I cheat and I just go right to bed. Mm-hmm. But that's that's where I that's where I do the bulk of my reading. The no phone in bed thing is huge. I gotta start doing it. That. That's so it's sad. not that hard. The, I, I, I tell you that when I go on business trips, I can't really obey that edict because I'm in one room.
1: Mm-hmm. And it
2: totally fucks with my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> like the itch, oh, like the itch becomes very prominent when it's just a foot away from me.
1: Oh, that's so funny. Um, Do you remember a book that you loved when you were a kid? How, like, do you mean like a child's
2: book or like, can we go
1: to high school or something? Either you can go to high school for sure. I've had people tell me like it by Stephen King. Like, I read it when I was 10 and I was like, well, you were too young to read that.
2: But yeah, what are, high school works. My kid wanted to read it when she was 10. And I said, yeah, sure. I don't give a shit. Good luck, kid. And she didn't. She didn't. Yeah. It it. Uh, anyway, the first novel I loved was Catch-22, which was I, I was assigned it in high school. And I was like, I can't believe a book I was assigned is funny and entertaining, and I'm mm-hmm. enjoying reading it. And it was the book that made me want to be a writer. So yeah. uh, it's Catch-22. Nice. Uh, is there a place
1: you'd like to travel to that you have not yet visited? Oh, my God. I mean, the list
2: is so... <laughs> yeah. This is the a pretty, pretty easy question so, for people so. now, yeah. Um, let's say... God, there's just so many. I, I got a big be... let us be uh let's be lame and say turks and cake some just fucking baller resort in turks and Caicos, yeah. Caicos where I can chill the fuck out. <laughs> Do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Easy.
1: What's the best side dish? I know you guys talk about it every year, stuffing. Yeah, okay. So just making sure you have the right answer. So and best uh best dessert? These aren't in the actual thing. I just gotta know your
2: uh i probably pumpkin pie. But you throw out an apple crisp, not an apple pie, but an apple crisp on there. Are you a coffee person or a tea person? I am. I am a coffee person now. I was a tea person for like 38 years. (laughs) And then I moved over to coffee because I have three kids. So there's really no choice. (laughs) Um, And coffee now I do it because, and this is totally lame, but I have one cup of coffee in the morning. It gives me a bit of energy. And I don't drink tea after that because I used to drink tea sort of steadily through the day, Mm -hmm. but then I ended up taking a piss 9,000 times. So I have to stop doing that because I can't, you know, I I already have old man bladder. I I don't need to be old. (laughs)
1: Uh, Cats or dogs?
2: Uh, Dogs Fuck cats. Yeah, that's the right answer. Do you have a favorite food? Uh, Let's go with um, a bagel. Everything bagel has to be a good one. Cream cheese and then smoked sable, not smoked salmon, smoked sable. It is fucking amazing. That's the best goddamn shit.
1: The um, then last one is: if you could have dinner with anybody alive or dead, who would you pick? Alive or dead? Yeah.
2: Oh god. Let's go with Joyce, just to be literary. I'll say Joyce because he was also he was a good writer, but also I think he was good company. Like he was funny. He yeah. was extremely caustic. He was like unimaginably horny. So you're a good party guy.
1: <laughs> oh, man. All right.
2: Last question for you. What do
1: you hope readers take away from reading The Night the Lights went out? Uh,
2: that they want to tell everyone else to read it and buy it so that I can come with it. No, I think it's that you uh, come away with it curious about your own mind and your own body because um, – I used to say this a lot and I probably still say it where I'm like, Oh, I know my body. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you don't, you absolutely don't. There are things you're going to discover about your body and your mind throughout your life. You had no fucking idea that Mm -hmm. that 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 was coming or you would know that you were going to feel things you never thought you would feel. And it's terrifying at times and unpleasant at times, but also rather extraordinary, um, you know when you think you've seen it all and heard it all and done it all you're not you're not fucking close you're nowhere near close yeah
1: well the book is incredible and I say this with all sincerity uh, as my literal favorite writer on the internet I am extremely glad you're doing well thank Uh, you thank you Adam
0: readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in marketplace professional book nerds is proud to be an evergreen podcast signature program to learn about other evergreen podcasts visit evergreenpodcasts.com our podcast is produced recorded and edited by jill grudenwald and presented by overdrive to learn more visit professionalbooknerds.com